Welcome everyone to the Crick Talk with Jay podcast. Thank you all for joining me today. Today we'll discuss the T20 World Cup 2022 which is taking place in Australia and has begun in round 1 of this tournament has actually already taken place. It's been completed. Now, the T20 World Cup, it's it's a tournament which is divided into two sections. One is the Super 12 where the top 12 teams compete and the other is round 1. Now round 1 consists of 8 teams divided into two groups group A and group B with four of these teams qualifying for the Super 12 so how it works is that the top 8 teams in T20 cricket according to the ICC rankings automatically qualify for the Super 12 eight other teams play in round 1 and the top four of those teams from round 1 fill the four remaining spaces left in that super 12 part of the world cup so round 1 is already taken place with the eight teams and four of them have qualified for the super 12 so with round 1 just having a look at round 1 we'll start off with group a in group a in round 1 it consisted of sri lanka netherlands namibia and the uae with sri lanka and netherlands being the two teams from this group to qualify into that next stage into that super 12 stage. So now we'll have a look at this Sri Lankan team. Sri Lanka their openers are doing really well at the moment. They're getting the side off to a good start. We have a look at Kushal Mendes in that round 1 103 runs striking at 163 is the fifth highest run scorer in this tournament right now. The other opener Pathum Nisanka he's also scored 97 runs and he's the eighth highest run scorer in the tournament so the openers they're doing well for sri lanka and really making sure that the power play um is is a good start and sri lanka gain momentum from a first up with the bat with the ball in hand you've got a one indu hasaranga and hasaranga he's taken seven wickets in the three games he's played till now and he's the leading wicket taker in this 2022 tournament at the moment now in 2021 when the t20 world cup was played in the uae he ended the tournament with the most wickets and now in 2022 he's really got a strong start here in australia and it's going to be interesting to see how he plays here in australia he started off well he started this tournament off well but australia australian conditions really if we have a look at they're friendly to pace bowlers not as much as spin bowlers on the australian pitches there's a lot of pace there's a lot of bounce you get some swing as well but there isn't really much turn for the spinners compared to the uae where the last world cup took place and hasaranga did really well there as i said that in the uae conditions are good for spinners the ball will turn the spinners will get that assistance from the pitch that's something which isn't really true in australian conditions and so hasaranga while he started this tournament off well it'll really be interesting to see how he's able to perform in the super 12 and if he's able to continue his performances with the ball now we move on to the other team which qualified the netherlands and with the netherlands there's really one big player in this side who's done so well and that's bas de lied now bas de lied If we have a look at the three games he's played, first up against the UAE, 3 for 19 in his three overs, picked up the man of the match award. Against Namibia, 
2 for 18 in 3 overs, as well as a runner ball 30 not out. And he also got the man of the match in that game. And while that 30 was just at a strike rate of 100, it was a low total that Netherlands were chasing against Namibia. And then against Sri Lanka, in a game where Netherlands lost, Bas de Lied, he picked up um, figures of 2 for 31 in his 3 overs. So like Hasaranga, Bas de Lied, he's also got 7 wickets in this tournament. Now Namibia and UAE were the other two teams in this group, both won a game each. And the game UAE won that was actually against Namibia. And that was the UAE's first ever win in a T20 World Cup. Namibia, though, the game they won was the tournament opener, the first game of the tournament against Sri Lanka. And Namibia beat Sri Lanka by a comprehensive margin of 55 runs, made 160-ish batting first, and then bowled the Sri Lankan team out around 110. So it was quite the performance from this Namibia team to beat this the Sri Lankan side, which it's it's deteriorated over the past couple of years, but we look back, it's, it used to be such an amazing side, did Sri Lanka. They actually won the World uh, the T20 World Cup back in 2014. And from there, their downfall, it really hasn't been too good to see for cricket fans around the world. But Namibia there, a huge moment in their cricket history, beating Sri Lanka in the T20 World Cup. Now let's move to the other group, Group B which consisted of Zimbabwe, Ireland, Scotland, and West Indies. And for me, I think Group B was more competitive than Group A. While both the groups, we saw some amazing games. And in Group A, actually, we saw a lot of really close games, um, a lot of upsets, for example, that Namibia-Sri Lanka game. But Group B, Zimbabwe, Ireland, Scotland, West Indies, all four of them top sides. Um, and really deserved to qualify, but since only two of them did, that was Zimbabwe and Ireland. And now we have a look at the Zimbabwe side, who topped the table in Group B, winning two out of their three games. When you talk about Zimbabwe, you've got to talk about one player, and that's Sikandar Raza. Sikandar Raza, we have a look at his three games. His first one against Ireland, 82 from just 48 deliveries. He was... He in, uh, inflicted so much damage on that Irish team with the bat and then with the ball as well, picking up 1 for 22 in 3 overs. And clearly, he was the man of the match in that first game. Then against the West Indies, Zimbabwe actually lost against the West Indies. But Sikandar Raza, 3 for 19 in 4 overs. Those are wonderful figures. 3 for 19 in just 4 overs in a lost game. And unfortunately, Zimbabwe lost that game, but Sikandar Raza nonetheless played extremely well. And then the final game against Scotland, a must-win game. This was the do-or-die game. Zimbabwe versus Scotland. Zimbabwe winning means Zimbabwe qualify. Scotland winning means Scotland qualify and Zimbabwe are eliminated. And in this must-win pressure situation game, Sikandar Raza comes out 1 for 20 in his 4 overs. Once again, amazing figures. And 40 of 23 with the bat, clearly securing that Man of the Match award once again. So Sikandar Raza, three games he's played and he has been brilliant. Arguably the, uh, the best player in this tournament as far as a round one is concerned. 
He's the leading run scorer in this tournament till now, 136 runs at an average of 45 and a strike rate of 172. Those are amazing numbers. Most players, they either have an average of 45 or a strike rate of 172. Sikandar Raza, he's got both and he bowls well. He's economical, he's, he's a wicket-taking bowler as well. You really cannot ask for more from Sikandar Raza. Now, the other team to qualify was Ireland. And Ireland, we have a look at their batting. Against Zimbabwe, 143 for 9. They lost by 31 runs. Against Scotland, 180 for 4. They won by 6 wickets with an over remaining. And then against the West Indies, they did extremely well. 150 for 1. A 9-wicket win, 2.3 overs remaining. And once again, that Ireland-West Indies game, like the Zimbabwe-Scotland one, it was a must-win for both the sides. Ireland won it, and so they qualified. And we'll talk about the West Indies in a bit. But Ireland, they, they're a side who their top order is extremely strong. With the likes of Paul Sterling, uh, Andrew Balburney there in the side. Their middle order is shaping up to be pretty good. You've got Harry Tector in the middle, Curtis Camphor. But really, it's that top order. And when that top order performs, when Sterling and Balburnie perform, Ireland, they will do well. <clears throat> and we've seen that in this tournament. That 143 for 9 against Zimbabwe, both the openers didn't really do too well. Ireland didn't do too well. But against Scotland and West Indies, coming back from that, Ireland, they, their batting is looking in a good situation at the moment. With the ball, Ireland, I feel they've got to figure out their combinations. They've got a lot of bowling options. They've got seven, eight bowling options, really. But they need to see who you want to use where. For example, in their game against Scotland, one bowler never bowled two overs on the trot from the same end. They were always chopping and changing their bowlers. And as, as a bowler, you want to just bowl a couple of consecutive overs. You want to get your rhythm right there. You don't want to just bowl one over and then be taken off the attack. And that was happening with every single bowler, no matter how well they bowled in that game against Scotland. So really figuring out who bowls where, how many overs you want to give a player, that all those combinations, Ireland, that's something they'd want to work on ahead of their matchups in the Super 12. Now let's move to the West Indies. The two-time champions, the most number of T20 World Cups won by any team, twice They've been crowned the winners and now a round one exit for the first time in their history. And this is, it was truly a very disappointing performance from the West Indies in this World Cup. And I think one big reason for this was Shimron Hetmeyer not playing. Shimron Hetmeyer is arguably the lead batsman for the West Indies. He missed his plane to Australia two weeks before the World Cup began and he was just dropped from the World Cup side. Cricket West Indies, they dropped him from the entire team because he missed his plane two weeks before the World Cup. Two weeks is plenty of time to catch another flight. But Shimron Hetmai, he missed his flight. He's dropped from the T20 team and with that, their batting suffered. We have a look at their, the three games that West Indies played. Against Scotland, bowled out for 118 and a 42-run loss. And we have a look at that middle-overs phase. Because Shimron Hetmeyer is a mid, he's someone who comes in in the middle-overs. And so we have a look at those middle-overs phase, over 7 through 15. Uh, West Indies made 36 runs, just 36 runs, for the loss of 6 wickets 
in those nine overs. Then against Zimbabwe, 153 for seven, a decent score. They actually won that game, did the West Indies, a 31-run win. But overs 10 through 15, 32 for five in those six overs. Then their final game against Ireland, 146 for five they made batting first. Not the worst of totals, but a nine-wicket loss. So you can say that conditions did favor the batsmen. Now, the five biggest overs in that West Indies innings went for 75, uh, 75 runs. The other 15 overs went for just 71. So they're playing at less than six and over, uh, less than five and over, actually, for those other 15 overs. If you take out the five biggest overs, they're playing at less than five and over for the other 15, which, which means that you've got these big overs, right, where you're hitting those boundaries, sixes, and you're targeting that one bowler. But besides that, it's just a lot of dots, maybe the occasional singles and twos, but a lot of dot balls there. And Shimron Hetmeyer, he's someone who can really rotate strike well. He can keep the scoreboard taking, make sure that runs are going to get there, runs are going to stay on the board. And also someone who can switch gears, put on that West Indian flair to say, and dispatch bowlers to all parts of the ground. So Hedmaya, I feel he had to play in this side because West Indies, as you can see, 75 in the five biggest overs. They're a side which really likes it. They've got a ton of power hitters. But Shimron Hetmeyer, he's someone who could remain calm there. He could just rotate strike. If the other player's playing well, just give that player strike. Otherwise, himself take on the bowling. He's a, very, he's a really versatile player in that sense. And I think him not playing was a huge miss for the West Indies in this World Cup as they exit the tournament in just the first round, the first time in their history. Now, we'll move on to the Super 12 and preview the top 12 teams ahead of their hunt to secure a spot in the playoffs. So for the Super 12, teams are divided into two groups of six teams each, with the top two teams from each group progressing into the semi-finals. So the first group is Group 1, which consists of Australia, England, New Zealand, Afghanistan, and the two teams from Round 1, Sri Lanka and Ireland. So having a look at this Australian side, Australia, they are the hosts of this World Cup. And with the bat, a key player for them at the top will be David Warner. And David Warner, he's been, he's been hit or miss really for the past couple of games. He's gotten a couple of 70s in the last 5-6 games, but he's also gotten a few single-digit scores in them as well. So either he's firing, getting that big score, or he's really getting out early in the first couple of overs. And Australia, they really need their opener to be more consistent at the top uh, at the top of the order because they've got the firepower to come to Australia. And they'd really want them coming, the likes of Glenn Maxwell and Matthew Wade, uh, Mitchell Marsh there on the side as well. They'd really want those types of players coming in after a good start has been provided and not early in the first six, seven overs or so. So Australia, they'd really like a good start from their senior player, David Warner, at the top. With the ball, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins. Three premier fast bowlers you've got. Hazelwood is actually the current best T20 international bowler in the ICC rankings. And Pat Cummins, he's been excellent. He's the current best test bowler. So not in this T20 format, but 
in test matches, the current best bowler and across formats, he's been crucial for Australia and their success. Uh, Mitchell Stark then, we all know about the pace he possesses, his fiery Yorkers, which are so hard to play. And I think this pace bowling trio, it's absolutely amazing. Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins, they will be very hard to score off of, especially in their own backyard, in Australian conditions, pace friendly, Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins. You'd really need to, batsmen would really need to find a game plan to play these three fast bowlers effectively. Now, moving on to the next team, you've got New Zealand. In New Zealand, you've got Kane Williams in there at the top. And he's been playing at a runner ball a bit less than that or so. Um, and his style of playing, it isn't really power hitting. It isn't suited to T20 cricket. And Kane Williamson, he's, he's someone who will make 30 of 30 every game. He'll make a run of all 30 every game on average. And that's not what you want in T20 cricket. You want 30 from 20 balls. You want, you want those types of innings, that 150 strike rate cameo. And that's not something Williamson provides. And so New Zealand, I think, they'll, they'll need Williamson to just anchor this innings in the middle overs. Just play through those middle overs, get singles, get twos. Make sure the run rate doesn't slow down while everyone around him just hits. So everyone, they've got to bat around Kane Williamson in this New Zealand batting order. That's got to be the strategy for New Zealand if they are to progress into the playoffs of this T20 World Cup. Now, New Zealand, interestingly, they haven't won a game in Australia for the past 11 years. Since 2011, They've played 15 games across formats in Australia and New Zealand, they have not won a single game and that definitely needs to change if they're to be successful in this World Cup. You've got to win games and New Zealand, they haven't been too successful in these Australian conditions so they'll really have to find a way to do so. And if you have a look at their fast bowlers, because these are Australian conditions, right? uh, They are pace bowling friendly. They've got an excellent fast bowling attack with the likes of Trent Bowl, Tim Saudi, Lockie Ferguson, those three main fast bowlers in there for them. And I think, personally, I feel they're going to have a really good World Cup. This being in Australian conditions and they say batsmen win you games with bowlers are the ones who win you tournaments in New Zealand. They've definitely got a tournament winning bowling attack. And uh, and they're, overall, I feel they're a side which will be one to beat. In this World Cup. Now we move on to the next team, England. We've got Australia, New Zealand and England in the same group. So this group is going to be very competitive. But we have a look at this England team. They're a batting heavy side. Joss Butler and Alex Hales at the top. That is destructive. That is the pure definition of destructive. Butler and Hales at the top. We all know the power they possess across in international cricket and T20 leagues around the world in the power play with the field restrictions Butler and Hales they can go absolutely berserk up front they're the type of they're the type of opening combination which can score 60 65 70 for one 70 for two in the power play that's the type of batting England possess with Butler and Hales opening the batting then in the middle order you've got Dawid Milan Ben Stokes and Harry Brook. These are three very versatile players. They're, they're players who can play the England way of playing, of just hitting everything out of the ground. 
but they can also look to rotate strikes, stabilize in innings. Let's just say Butler and Hales get out early. You've got Milan, Stokes and Harry Brook there who can just hit the ball around, make just build partnerships, rebuild the innings for the death overs. And Harry Brook especially, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play because he's he's still young in international grade, doesn't have too much experience. But from what we've seen of him, he is really going to be a big, big player for England in the near future. Harry Brook. And so I'd really like to see him play here in the Australia, in Australian conditions and in, in some pressure here because this is a World Cup. You will be in pressure situations and I would li- I'd really love to see how Harry Brook goes about his innings in Australia in this World Cup. So that was the middle order. Now we move into the lower order. Moeen Ali, Liam Livingston, the two power hitters there. And these are the types of players who can and have actually hit 60, 70 runs at a 200 strike rate. They can do that on their day. We've seen it on multiple occasions, not just in international cricket for England, but in T20 leagues around the world. You've got Moeen Ali, you've got Liam Livingston, five overs left in the game. Let's just say you're sitting at a 120-ish type score. All of a sudden, after those five overs, those death overs, they're the, these are the two batsmen who are going to get you 60, 70 runs in five overs. And that 120 score after 15 is going to end up being at 180, 190 by the time the innings finishes off. So England, this batting order, it is absolutely amazing. Butler, Hales, Milan, Stokes, Brooke, Moeen, Livingston, Sam Curran is well coming in after that at number eight. So England, their batting it's, it's really going to cause some headaches for some teams. Because you get a couple of players out, great. But there you go, in walks in another player who can take the game away from you in two overs. So England, their batsmen are really going to trouble the bowling sides a lot in this World Cup. Now having a look at England's bowling. They don't have Jofra Archer playing, which is a huge miss for them. Jofra Archer, of course, is injured. You've got Reese Topley, who's looking good in the lead-up to this World Cup in the games he played, the warm-up games and everything. But now he's injured. He injured himself while fielding. And so now you don't have Archer, you don't have Topley. But I think England, they've got quite the pace bowling options. You've got Chris Wokes, you've got Ben Stokes, Sam Curran, Mark Wood. So a lot of pace bowling options there. And so I think England, they've got some good replacements and they'll really need these replacements to step up in the absence of Jofra Archer and Reese Topley. Now moving from England to Afghanistan. Afghanistan, their, their bowling attack will start off with because they're a bowling, uh, their, their strength for Afghanistan really is their bowling. And with the ball, it's spin. Afghanistan are a spin-heavy bowling attack. And you've got Rashid Khan, Mujib Rahman, Mohammad Nabi, those three spinners there. And it'll be interesting to see how they do in Australian conditions. Like we talked about with Hasaranga in round one. Now it'll be these three spinners in this Super 12 for Afghanistan. Because as I've said on multiple occasions before, Australia pace bowling friendly conditions. And so spinners here, you don't really have turn to rely on. And spinners, they'll have to rely on bounce mainly. And someone like a Rashid Khan or a Mujibur Rahman, these are two bowlers who very much rely on turning the ball with their googlies, their leg breaks, all those variations. But now a lot of that will have to be sidelined and you'll have to rely more so on bounce and spin straight out of the fingers. The pitch isn't going to help you spin the ball anymore. 
And so Rashid Khan, Mujibur Rahman and Muhammad Nabi as well. It'll be really interesting to see how these three are able to do in Australian conditions. They've done well in the Big Bash League, for example, in Australia. And we'll have to see if they can replicate some of those performances now in the World Cup. Moving from the bowling from of Afghanistan to their batting. Batting has become much more aggressive, I'd like to say, over the past year. While Afghanistan don't really have any big power hitters to say, they are scoring more runs and they're batting more aggressively, which is really good to see. For example, four of their top six have a 135 plus strike rate. And that's something you wouldn't see from Afghanistan a couple of years back. And so you can see that emphasis they've put on batting. You can see that improvement they're trying to look at with the bat because bowling, it's always been strong for Afghanistan. But batting has usually been a bit underwhelming. But now we can see Afghanistan with the bat are looking to be a good side as well. Now my predictions for this group, group one, I think Australia and England will be the two teams to qualify. Australia, of course, playing in home conditions. They're, they're an excellent side. We talked about that pace bowling. Their, bat, their batting is also looking really good. The defending champions playing un, in home conditions. I think Australia will make the semifinals. And the other team will be England, in, in my opinion. Because England, we have a look at their team, that batting heavy side. Those batsmen, they will win you numerous number of games. Bowling may be a bit weak for England. It is bowlers who win you tournaments. Uh, so from, from an England perspective, they really would like their bowlers to fire here, pick up wickets, be economical. But I think overall, having a look at their combination with the bat especially, they're at least qualified to come into the semifinals. So Australia and England, my two picks to qualify to make the semifinals from Group 1. New Zealand, I feel, will finish third in this group. They've also got a really good side, but it's a very competitive group, this. And so New Zealand, they're just finishing at third. Afghanistan, I feel, could very well be the dark horses in this group. And I wouldn't be surprised if they pull a win against Australia or England or New Zealand, one of those big, big teams in world cricket at the moment, and really have a shot at the semifinals till the very end. So Afghanistan, for me, will be the team to watch out for. You never know. They could very well be the dark horses, sneak into those semifinals, cause some upsets here. So Afghanistan, the team to watch out for. But for me, Australia and England, the two to qualify for the semis. Now moving from Group 1 on to Group 2, where you've got India, Pakistan, South Africa, Bangladesh, and the two teams to qualify from Round 1, Zimbabwe and the Netherlands. So we'll start off with India, a powerhouse in world cricket at the moment. And we have a look at Virat Kohli first up. Recently scored his 71st century. A thousand and twenty days he had to wait after his 70th. He played many innings in that time, but just couldn't get to that triple figure mark. Now finally does it against Afghanistan in the Asia Cup. 122 from just 61 deliveries, making that 71st century one which fans were overjoyed. I know I definitely was to see him go out there, hit the ball to all parts of the ground, get to that triple figure score. And so that was absolutely amazing to see from Virat Kohli in the Asia Cup. But besides that, Kohli hasn't been in the best of form. He did play a couple of good innings. We have a look at the practice games, the lead up games to this World Cup. 
but he hasn't been too consistent really and historically virat kohli is someone who's been amazing in australia as someone who loves facing pace these conditions really do suit him well and so virat kohli hasn't been in the best of nick in lead up to this world cup but this world cup he could really find his form back he could go back to that old peak virat kohli to say that 2016 type virat kohli where he was just undefeatable almost to say so virat kohli i think it'll be interesting to see how he plays in these australian conditions another middle order batsman for india surya kumar yadav he truly has been unstoppable till now hitting the ball to all parts of the ground taking the game away from oppositions and currently the second best t20 batsman in the world of course he played he played in the ipl for a couple of seasons right he had some really good seasons from 2019 now to 2022 he's been consistently performing there so he got that india call up a couple of years back and now since then really he's he's been the key batsman for india in the middle order we've seen on many times for india they've got their top 3 set whether that be rohit sharma shikhar dhawan virat kohli or rohit sharma kl rahul virat kohli whatever that top 3 be they've got that set but then after that that number 4 position it's always been a bit weak for india remember in the 2019 world cup there were so many options you tried there rishabh pant dinesh karthik vijay shankar after that with shreyas ayer and ambati raidu you had so many options you tried basically every batsman in that number 4 position then you tried surya kumar yadav and he has been the perfect fit He's a versatile player. He can rotate strike. He's got some unorthodox shots. Uh, he places the ball really well. And Surya Kumar Yadav has been a brilliant find for India at that number four position. Now moving down the order, Hardik Pandya. I feel Hardik Pandya will be India's X factor in this World Cup. Having a look at him with the ball, this is Australian conditions, and Hardik is someone who relies on bounce to get wickets and be successful with the ball. And so. In this World Cup, it'll be Hardik Pandya who's going to be India's X factor, in my opinion. If Hardik Pandya does well, India are going to do well. And we have a look at him with the bat as well, because he's an all-rounder, of course. So we have a look at him with the bat. He can completely change the complexion of the game at in the death overs. And I think with no Jadeja in this side, because he's out to injury, Hardik Pandya, his role as a finisher will really be a bit bigger for India. And so it, I I feel this World Cup is going to be down to Hardik Pandya from an India perspective. If Hardik Pandya performs, India will do extremely well. If he doesn't, they may not do that well. Now moving into the pace bowling department for India, you've got Bumrah who is injured. So you don't have Bumrah actually. He's injured and he's out of this tournament. So like Jadeja, Bumrah is also not playing. Those are two big big blows for India. but having a look at the players who are in the side you've got bhuvneshwar kumar and mohammad shami the two experienced fast bowlers bhuvneshwar swings the ball well in the power play and shami brought in as a replacement for bumrah he actually interestingly only bowled one over in the power play did shami oh uh, he only bowled one over sorry at the death did shami in the warm up game that's the only over he bowled in the entirety of the warm up game the final over and where in that over actually picked up 3 wickets defended you know 14 runs he picked up 3 wickets and hasn't hasn't he hasn't played 
a game for India in the format since the last World Cup is Mohamed Shami. So we have a look at what all he's played. Since the last World Cup, he hasn't played a T20 for India. With Bumrah injured, he's called up into the side. He bowls one over in the warm-up game. Picks up three wickets in that final over. Defends a low total against Australia. And all of a sudden, now India questions once again rise. Is Shami now going to be a fast bowler now for India? Is he going to be in the first 11 for them in this tournament? Because we have a look, Arshdeep Singh and Harshal Patel, the two other fast bowlers, the two young fast bowlers, out of these four, Bhuvneshwar, Shami, Arshdeep, Harshal, three of them will play. And Hardik Pandya is that fourth seam bowling option. Three of them will play. Then you've got two spinners as well with Akshar, Ashwin and Shahel. Two of them will play. But coming back to fast bowling, three of these four fast bowlers will play. I think Bhuvneshwar Kumar picks himself. They're in the power play. So, Arshdeep, Harshal and Shami, two of them make the side. It'll be interesting to see who India go with here. Because Arshdeep and Arshal, two young fast bowlers, they're very different from each other though. Arshdeep relies on his pace and his Yorkers, while Harshal relies more on the variation, the slower ball, the cutters. And both of these bowlers, and Shami as well, so all three of these bowlers bowl in the death. And India's death bowling hasn't been too good in recent times. And it'll be interesting to see if India opt for both Arshdeep and Harshal or if they bring Shami in. Because Shami hasn't had much game time over the past year. And so, what do India want to go with? Do they want to go with Shami, who's a hit-the-deck bowler there in the death overs, experienced? Do they want to go with Arshdeep, who, who gets those Yorkers right? If he doesn't, he'll go for a lot of runs. Or do you want to go with Harshal as well, who's different from both of them in the sense that he doesn't have much pace, but he's got the variation. He's got the wide Yorkers. He's got the cutters. He's got the slower balls which can really make it tough for the batsmen in the death overs. Now moving from India to Pakistan. Pakistan, their openers, they have a heavy reliance on their openers to Pakistan. Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan. Both openers though, strike below 130. And so they aren't able to really maximize the power play field restrictions or Pakistan with Babur and Rizwan not really playing too quickly. And I think part of that is that they don't really have that freedom to play quickly. They don't have that license to play quickly because the middle order is a bit weak for Pakistan. And we have a look at that middle order. Sometimes they get starts, sometimes they don't. And the ones, the times they get starts, they'll make those 20s, 30s, occasionally a 40 but they aren't able to convert those starts into those big scores. And that's what's putting pressure on Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan. Really not allowing them to open their arms up in the power play. Play that power hitting game and get them off to an excellent start. We've seen many times Babar and Rizwan just bat through a couple of century partnerships we've seen from them. A couple of double century partnerships as well. Like one recently against England. 2-0-3 for no loss they made while chasing against England in a T20 game. And this was before the World Cup. And so Pakistan, Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan, I think if you get those two out, then the game's really going to be very much in your favor. But Babar and Rizwan, it'll be interesting to see how they go about playing because you do want to play quickly, but then you've also got to have a look at your middle order and see that you don't really have too many good options if both of them get out quickly. 
Now moving from batting to bowling and with that the pace bowling for Pakistan and Pakistan it's known for its fast bowlers. They've got Shaheen Afridi, Harris Rauf, Naseem Shah, Mohammad Hasnain and we have a look at Afridi first up. Shaheen Afridi, he's returning from an injury but he's been brilliant up, from, up front for Pakistan and at the death. We'll see how much that affects him that he hasn't had much game time after that injury. But Shine Afridi, before that, in the power play we saw in the last World Cup, at the death, really making it tough for batsmen. And so Shine Afridi, he'll also play that key role for Pakistan, the lead bowler for them in this World Cup. And you've got Mohammad Hasnain who is the other opening bowler for them, bowls a bit in the middle overs as well. And so he'll also have a key job accompanying Afridi. And then Harris Roth. Harris Roth is a death bowler. He possesses tremendous pace. And he's actually got a pretty good short ball as well, which can trouble the batsman. And I think he's going to be using that to good effect here in Australia. And so it'll be interesting to see how Harris Roth performs in the death overs for Pakistan with the ball. Now on to South Africa. South Africa, their pace bowling. Rabada, Nokia, Nigidi, Jansen, Parnell. Five quality pace bowling options that South Africa have got. So they've got quite the options available. And this is great since they're playing in Australian conditions. And I think the four they'll opt for, you've got to go for Rabada, you've got to go for Nigidi, Nokia. And I think that fourth bowler, it'll be Parnell. So Jansen, me, just have to sit um, this World Cup out. He'll be that, that fifth bowler. So if someone does get injured, then he comes into the side. But I think the four that they're going to start with South Africa are going to be Rabada, Nokia, Nigidi and Parnell. The four they've been playing, the four who've been doing well here for South Africa with the ball. But you can't really go wrong with any options or with any of the options. Because five quality fast bowlers, South Africa are tremendously lucky to have all five of them as a part of their squad. With the bat, David Miller and Rili Rousseau are both coming off centuries against India. And Miller especially has been in sublime form. A century plus a few 70s against India. And he actually holds the record for the fastest T20 international century, coming from just 35 deliveries which he scored against Bangladesh a couple of years back. So we all know how much damage David Miller can cause if he gets set and he is in form right now. So he'll definitely be one who sides well before and they're going to need to perform. Uh, they'll need to, they're going to need to plan a game plan really for David Miller because he is one who's going to take the game away from you in a matter of two overs. Now Bangladesh, the fourth team in this group, they're looking, their batting is looking decent. You've got Shakib Al-Hassan, Litton Das, and both were actually in the top five run scorers for the tri, in the tri-series that Bangladesh played with New Zealand and Pakistan. And that, ha- that took place in New Zealand. So in that tri-series, both Shakib and Litton Das were in the top five run scorers. So that's good signs for Bangladesh as far as the batting is concerned. Their bowling, on the other hand, is looking a bit weak. Now, in this tri-series, three out of four games, Bangladesh conceded 165-plus. In that fourth game, New Zealand were actually chasing and they made 142 quite comfortably 
in just 17 overs. And you can see that they did have that time. They just lost two, three wickets. So they well would have um, exceeded that 165 run mark. And so Bangladesh, their bowling is a bit weak. We have a look at their wickets that they've been taking. In the four games they played in the Stry series, they picked up 15 wickets combined in the four games. So that's just three to four wickets a game. So on average, you're looking at 170 for three, 170 for four in a 20 over game. That's not something you want. And that is really not a good performance for a Bangladesh with the ball. So their bowling is what they'll really have to address ahead of their matchups in this Super 12. Now, my predictions for this group, I think India and Pakistan are going to qualify. And South Africa will finish in third. And the reason I've not got South Africa qualifying is that South Africa, they're, they're a side that you've got these couple of guys. If they fire, it's really just game over for the opposition. But many times we've seen now they don't. And if they don't, South Africa, they're going to get bowled out for a low total. They're going to get bowled out for less than 120. And so you've got a bit of an over-reliance on a couple of players. A, couple, a few players aren't in the best of form. I think it'll be interesting. It could really go either way. India, I'm definitely backing to qualify. But with Pakistan and Sri Lanka, right now, ahead of the Super 12, I'd want to back Pakistan with the fast bowling they have, with the batting they have with Babur and Rizwan. But it could really go either way. And I think that, that uh, clash will be really close. Pakistan or Sri Lanka, who gets there in that second spot for the semi-finals now in this group i don't think we'll see too many surprises especially compared to group one as far as upsets are concerned from someone like a bangladesh zimbabwe netherlands while they are really good teams they've done well up until this point but in this in this group of the super 12 i personally don't think they'd be able to do so much we'll have to wait and see this world cup it will definitely be quite an interesting one we've got 12 amazing teams here and it'll be really great to see which of them qualify. My four teams to qualify for the semi-finals. Australia, England, India and Pakistan. And we'll have to wait and see which ones do. As I said, it's going to be an amazing World Cup now. We've got on our hands here in Australia. Thank you all for joining me today in this preview of the Super 12. As well as a review of round one. And have a great rest of your day.